Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm the preacher, Dave Magera, And I'm the teacher, Hal Berman. And we're continuing in our series on the book of Judges. Last week, uh, if you tuned in, and if you didn't, you can go to our website, www.theteacherandthepreacher.com, and hear the archive broadcast. We introduced the book of Judges and talked about some of the themes of this very interesting book that's probably one of the least uh, read books in the Bible, but it has some amazing stories and some amazing lessons in it. So this week we're going to continue, and in the next few weeks continue, with specific stories from the book of Judges. There were 12 judges in all, and we talked about last week, There, you could possibly say there's 13. There, there's a little bit of a dispute about that. Uh, but there are a lot of these stories. Some of the, these judges literally get two verses in the book, and some of them get pages and pages. So we're going to go, uh, the, the most known story, of course, is Samson. So we're going to go with some of the stories that maybe are, are not as well known, but yet pretty interesting in their own right. So this first one we're going to tackle today is the story of Ehud, which you find in chapter three in the book of Judges. Yeah, I I like this guy. I <laughs> I tell you, you know, one of the things that if you are a student of the Bible, as opposed to just a reader of the Bible, there's something to be said about reading the Bible versus studying the Bible. But what you begin to learn is that as I read about Ehud and I see that he's a Southpaw and it immediately takes my mind back to the, the tribe of Benjamin who were known as, you know, expert marksmen that they could, you know, sling a sling with uh such precision that it would split a hair on your head. Uh, they had this uh, group of warriors that were experts, marksmen, with their slingshots. And uh, Ehud is a southpaw. And uh, that's one of the things that it says about that group of Benjamites who were uh, experts in the slingshot uh, being southpaws. And so... And Go ahead. I was just going to say that there's a real irony here because Benjamin, uh, in Hebrew, it's Binyamin, which literally means son of the right. So you have all of these sons of the right who actually are lefties. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, let's talk about this interesting guy. Uh, as you read through this story, do you have any idea at all? Uh, about uh, generally about how old he is? So, uh, boy, I may have missed it, but I, I don't think it really says if I'm recalling. I, I didn't see it, it, it anyway. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, um, he, it does talk about, you know, um, that God raised him up after uh, the Israelites had lived in enormous oppression for 18 years by the Moabites. And I find that, you know, um, he's, um, he apparently seems to have maybe a bit of a injury or deformation of maybe his right hand. Um, it's, it's a very interesting piece because I remember some years ago, he, he was set apart as, I think, a real special person. And he makes this uh, dagger or maybe a, a little longer version of a dagger that um, he straps you know, to his right side, where if you are typically a swordsman, you were right-handed. And so he straps this homemade, personal-made, uh, uniquely-made weapon uh, on his right side, and he becomes an expert at wielding that thing. Yeah. It's interesting that you say about him uh, having a deformity, uh, perhaps on his right side, because the the Hebrew, the way it it says it, is very interesting. It it uh, it's often translated as he was a left handed man, but uh, what it literally says in Hebrew is he's he was one whose right hand is constrained or bound up. Hmm. So it, it may well mean he he didn't really have the use of his his, his right hand. Yeah, yeah. So once again, uh, what we talked about last week is that. God can use anybody, and he specifically chooses these particular people in the book of Judges, for the, the whole Bible for that matter, that are basically inadequate. Right. <laughs> and he makes them more than adequate, which is such a wonderful truth about God. And he can take that which is nothing and make something out of it. Well, and that's also where, you know, here you have uh, toward the beginning of the story, it's telling you that he's left-handed or he's bound up in his right hand. And it seems like this small, inconsequential detail. But in fact, that's the detail that winds up making all the difference in the entire story. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, each of these situations that we're going to be talking about are just like this in terms of they've got basically an impossible mission. Mission impossible. This is where mission impossible actually is birthed. Book <laughs> of Judges by God himself. There's nothing new under the sun. And uh, way before Tom Cruise was uh, playing a key role, <laughs> you know, here's Ehud. He's, uh, he's this uh, guy who avails himself to let God use him. He However I can serve you, that's what I'm going to do. But um, this is a pretty pretty interesting thing because he goes up against a formidable foe. They, um, they take on about 10,000, get this, 10,000 Moabite soldiers. Right. And that's no small task. So um, this, this young man... I'm just going to call him a young man, uh, knows that, listen, I'm probably never going to be in that 
exclusive, you know, slingshot unit where those guys are just deadly marksmen. Uh, but I think I can still do something effectively with my left hand. And so privately, he's been uh, not only making this particular weapon, but he becomes very skilled in using it. And we meet one of the most um, interesting characters, and that's the uh, king of the Moabites. <laughs> right. And this guy is something to be reckoned with himself. Eglon, right? Eglon, king of Moab. Yeah. So as you read about him, is there anybody that that he reminds you of? Oh, there's any number of, of leaders he reminds me of. <laughs> From Roman times to, to the present, uh, yeah, they say he was very obese. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, although it doesn't quite say this, obviously very uh, taken of himself uh, and had a lot of yes men around him. Yeah, well, I don't know why, but I always think of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, that works. <laughs> you know, I mean, here's this, you know, out of control, obese person. And uh, not only, he had, he had two huge areas of weakness. One was he never met a meal he didn't like. Right. And the other area of weakness was he loved juicy gossip. Yeah. He loved, there wasn't a secret he didn't like. You know, there's some people who think that a secret is something that you tell one person at a time. That's what they think a secret is. And And Ehud played into both of these uh, weaknesses of his. (laughs) And so, listen, to our listeners, you know, if you haven't read this, uh, you need to really open the book and read this story because it is, uh, it's almost beyond belief. But, you know, um, uh, this king, he he demanded every year this tribute from the Israelites. And um, one one time that was the people are calling upon God for his help and he breaks through and he raises up Ehud and he's uh, called on to, do the impossible, deliver Israel. Right. And at, at this point, Israel served Eglon for 18 years. Uh, and it's consistent with the theme of Judges that they did evil in God's eyes. Then God sends an oppressor against them. And then once things are going badly, then they cry out to God. Yeah. And I think, you know, once again, there's purpose here that God has. So he selects this uh, southpaw and and Ehud had, had made this double-edged weapon, strapped it to his right thigh, where when you're going to basically go through security, get through past the palace guards, uh, they would never guess that you were concealing a weapon on your right side because people who wielded the sword were right-handed. So they basically are just kind of checking his his left uh, thigh or left side and there's no weapon there and they don't even bother to check the right side so he he gets through security clearance doesn't he right and that and that's that's really the key to the whole story because 
you know, anyone else, uh, of course, w- would have had the sword where they would have seen it. And it's his weakness that here becomes a strength that he's he can't he's bound up in his right hand. So he uses his left hand and therefore his he's able to put the sword where they'll never find it. Well, so if uh, we follow the story, he becomes the person to go and meet uh, the king and pay tribute. And he, he does that, and then he leaves. But, but as he and his team are leaving, he basically says, hey, listen, you guys go ahead without me, and I'll catch up with you. And he turns and goes back to the palace, right? Right. He sends his, his, his people basically out of harm's way. They, they, they're like completely out of the way. And then he is basically going to take care of business himself. Yes. So he goes back and they basically ask him, you know, hey, what, what are you doing back here? And he says, I have a message for the king and I, I can only tell him. Right. He knows exactly what will tickle the king's ear, right? Right, because the king's not going to turn that away. Listen, there's nothing better than juicy gossip over a plate full of Twinkies, <laughs> right? Or whatever it was they ate at that or time. whatever it was. It's a baklava. But <laughs> yeah, so you've got double delight going on there. So he, he gets past the palace guard. And um, he's having this private meeting, and he ends up having uh, this meeting behind closed doors. And um, I can just imagine this setting when he says, now listen, I've got something that is only fit for the king's ears, and the king desperately wants to hear it. So, you know, Ehud draws closer to the king because he doesn't want this getting outside the door. So he uniquely positions positions himself. And this overweight guy whose uh, belly is in the way has to lean over a bit. And you can just picture this whole thing. And um, so he delivers quite a message to him, doesn't he? Yeah, well, and then he he says, to make it even more, Ehud says to Eglon, I have the word of God for you, uh, which makes him really literally stand up and take notice. Cause, and, and Ehud really does mean he has the word of God for him, but obviously not at all in the way Eglon thinks. But that gets him to stand up, and that's where the turning point of the story begins. Yes. So as he leans over to tell him this juicy bit of news, he draws his uniquely made weapon and let's let's talk about that weapon itself it's it's got to probably be i don't know i'd say probably 12 to 18 inches wouldn't you yeah it says a cubit which i i mm-hmm. think as far as i know is about 18 inches so it's this is not a small weapon right and it's double sided which is you know most swords are are not at least in those days are not double sided so it's it's a pretty potent weapon yes and when he plunges that uh, into the king's gut, uh, it goes pretty deep, doesn't it? Yeah, and the, the Bible becomes very graphic. You know, that's one of the things about the Bible 
sometimes it's conceived of as this very um, you know clean book, and and, and it's really not. Uh, the Bible does not spare details, and, and here it's extremely graphic about it says about how Eglon's fat closes in around the blade, which gives you a sense of how fat he was. Uh, and then Ehud does not withdraw the sword, and it says that actually excrement comes out uh, where he's penetrated his belly. So Not the most pleasant image. No, no, no. <laughs> no, not at all. But what's really interesting is as you read, depending on what version you read, which reminds me, you know, I had a group of pastors together, and I was asking them one day about which version across their years did they find the most uh, – the most important version. And without hesitation, all these guys are senior seniors now. Without any hesitation, they all said the large print version. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. So anyway, depending, yeah, depending on which version you read, um, it, it says that, you know, after a long period of time and the king never, you know, uh, they never heard anything coming out of the room. Uh, this event has now taken place, and Ahud exit stage left and goes out the back way. And uh, they wait, and they wait, and they wait for the king. And um, and they actually, depending, uh, like I said, on, on what version you read, it says, well, maybe he is, you know, in a small room relieving himself. And why would it say that? Um, well... Uh, I mean, certainly somebody who eats as much as he does uh, is going <laughs> need to relieve himself. But uh, it would also be natural that uh, they would never in a million years think that their king had been assassinated, especially they did a security check. They they have no reason to think that, uh, you know, anything was amiss. So if he's a few minutes delayed, that would be the natural conclusion that, uh, well, he must be in the bathroom. Yeah. Or. The fact that what accentuated that was, just as you said, the Hebrew scriptures say, uh, out of him comes this excrement, so that the smell is foul enough that they think that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's true. That's uh, oh, there's a hint, and so okay, well let's well let's give him a little time, and and so later when they come back and the king uh, hadn't come out. Even then, they decide, you know, we better bust down the door and check on him. And that's when they find that, lo and behold, uh, their dearly beloved king is now, you know, on the other side of uh, life, right? Right. And meanwhile, Ehud has hightailed it out of there and is long gone. Yeah, yeah. And and so the delay uh, creates enough time that Ehud and, and his people are able to, to get away and rally the troops and, and Israel goes up against the Moabite. And right. it says that they killed 10,000 or more Moabites and subdued them. Yeah, you have Ehud, he sounds the chauffeur, which in this instance is a war cry. And now they're going against the Moabite army that's leaderless uh, and, and probably pretty dejected as well. So uh, yeah, they smote some 10,000 men and it says not a man escape. So in other words, it was a complete rout. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is, this is an amazing thing that, uh, that they accomplish. So what, what, what do we draw from this story? Because as, as uh, amazing story and, and intriguing story as this is, I'm sure it's not just in there 
just to entertain us, you know. So what 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 speaks to you out of this story? Well, I think like a number of stories in the book of Judges, you know, you have this is an example of raw power and courage and cunning and planning all combined, uh, you know, in one package. Uh, so, so that in itself is interesting. But but for me, it's it's what I said toward the beginning. I think, you know, you get this little detail of he's a left-handed man. And, you know, if when you're reading the story for the very first time and you don't know what's coming, you think, oh, okay. And you kind of wonder why you even need to know that because uh, it doesn't seem like something that could be particularly consequential. And yet that becomes, uh, that becomes really the turning point of the story, the, you know, the uh, thing that makes the story possible. And I, I think that's a message you find in many places in the Bible where it's the person who, uh, you know, is from the outside that you, you think is powerless, that they're the ones that make all the difference, or it's the little detail that seems inconsequential, and yet in the end is the is the detail that winds up turning everything around. And, and I think that that's what you have here. Yeah. These, these details that God includes in his word are there with great purpose. There's no wasted space. And so when it says that he was left-handed, there's a reason. Now, if I were left-handed... And I'm not, but I've got an outstanding granddaughter who is. If I were left-handed, I would be underlining in my Bible the fact that this guy is left-handed. And I would underline that with my left hand in the Bible. (laughs) Because the fact that the Bible actually acknowledges uh, people who are left-handed. Because I can't remember off the top of my hand. Off the top of my head, uh, that the Bible ever really talks about somebody being right-handed. No, it's and this is this is also the thing that, as you said at the beginning, this is a situation where because of whether it's that he's left-handed or that his right hand doesn't work very well, um, yeah, he's not going to be this expert marksman uh, like the sons of Benjamin are, uh, and yet. Uh, even though he's not going to be the expert marksman, he comes out and takes what seems to be this disadvantage, and that becomes the thing that saves everybody. Exactly. So from this story, I draw that God can use quirks. God can use quirky people. He can use quirky uh, aspects of who we are. And that quirk could be physically. It could be you know, uh, part of our emotional or mental makeup. But uh, you've been around quirky people because you've been around me. And I've <laughs> been around quirky people because I've been around you. I, I've been around quirkier people than you, Dave. I, I yeah. hate to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really measure up as a quirky people compared to other quirky people. So It's all relative. But the fact that God can use quirks, you know, he can use what may seem absolutely useless God can use to carry out his will, his purpose. And yeah. I, I love that message uh, because so many times, you know, we, we count ourselves out and don't see that God is counting us in. And uh, we're just, a, we're a diamond. We're just in the rough. <laughs> so um, God sees this and he, he can do amazing things, even with people who have quirks. And, and I think that's a, a wonderful truth for us. And I also see that, you know, um, there is a need for us at various times in our life to turn back to God. 
Yeah. And um, it's because we, we weren't living as close as we should have been. It's because we were maybe entertaining uh, time with foreign gods, foreign things, things that we shouldn't be engaging in. Uh, the Bible probably calls it uh, very much uh, what it is, that's sin. And so um, that that can oppress us, it can take us captive, and, and we've got to have a, a God who can save us from that kind of stuff. And so I, I see that as as a really wonderful truth about this particular person in this particular book as we wrap up our conversation today about him. Yeah, and it even drives the point home at the end of the story because you, you read through the book of Judges and you know the stories of Samson or longer, Deborah, Gideon, and you might not think this is as significant, but yet uh, in many places where a judge comes in and saves the day, uh, it'll say the land was tranquil for 40 years. And that's usually the, the time period. And here it says, Moab submitted that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was tranquil for 80 years. And it's making the point, you know, this wasn't any small thing. This was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Which tells me, as we kind of launched into this, that I, my mindset is that Israel was a younger guy because he, he lived to see uh, the hand of the Lord uh, for those years of accomplishment. But, you know, if he lived to be 120, 40 is a young age. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing 30 because it seems like, <laughs> yeah, it seems like, you know, he had to be old enough to have the respect of a leadership position. He couldn't have been, you know, 15. But yet he was a warrior and he went out and wielded the sword. And uh, so we, I'm, I'm guessing 30-ish. All right. Well, that's still young. And so <laughs> is still young. Uh, 50 and 60 now, you know. Absolutely. Well, 50 yeah. is the new 30, you know. Yeah, I love that. Well, listen, uh, we hope you've enjoyed being with the teacher and preacher this uh, this weekend. Uh, we want to encourage you to take a minute and scratch out a note to us. Go to the teacher and the preacher at Gmail, the teacher and the preacher at gmail.com. And let Hal and I... Uh, no. How, how did you come across the program? Uh, what is it that you would love to hear us talk about? Give us some feedback. Let us hear from you. Then check us out at our, our Facebook page. Hal does a great job giving us interesting facts about Israel on a daily basis. Check that out. You'll, you'll love and appreciate that. And you can also give some feedback there. You can also go to our website, theteacherandthepreacher.com. You'll find archived programs there. You'll find information about the teacher and the preacher. And you'll be able to click on the donate button and stand alongside us. We're listener supported. But you'll receive a, a tax deductible statement. And you'll be blessing us and being a help to yourself. So I encourage you to do that as well. And this is something that we hope and pray has been a blessing to you. So um, God's always helped, uh, helped us. So maybe he'll, he'll use you to help us as well as you donate. And then, you know, we have a Twitter account, don't we? We do at the teach preach at the teach preach. It's, it's a powerful little place. Yeah. So anyway, we invite you to, to get better acquainted with the teacher and the preacher. How been great to be with you this, uh, this weekend on this broadcast and with you. And I want to encourage our listeners, uh, keep, reading the book of Judges, and uh, next week we will focus in on an amazing and unforgettable lady.
Until then, may the God of Israel, who never slumbers and never sleeps, may he watch over Israel and all of our Jewish friends, and may that same God bless America. Amen.